Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we're talking about going international, becoming an international company. Excited about this. We've not talked about this topic specifically on the podcast before. And so with me today is an expert on this subject. Hey, Brett Curry here. Before we dive into today's topic, I want to talk quickly about YouTube ads. People ask me all the time, what makes for a great YouTube ad? And it's true, the ad is the hardest part for getting YouTube to work. Now, I love the campaign structure. I love audience targeting, and I love tinkering with bids and using the smart bid algorithm. And I even like budget management. I like all that behind the scenes stuff. But I've seen it time and time again where the exact same campaign structure just limps along with a mediocre video. But you get the right video with the right message that resonates with people, and that same campaign structure just takes off. It scales. And so over the last couple of years, my team and I, we've been collecting good YouTube ads. We've been watching, we've been paying attention, looking at our own clients, looking at the numbers, finding what are ads that resonate and work on YouTube. And so we started building this little guide, this little guide that we use internally. And we started categorizing ads and giving them fun names like the manifesto and the UGC mashup and the have it all. And so we started kind of breaking down what elements in these videos make them work. And so I was speaking at a recent event and I just happened to mention that this resource existed and uh, people sort of clamored for it. Like everybody was like, hey, I want to see the guy. I want to see that resource. I want to see all these successful ads. And so that's what we've done. So we put together this resource, kind of first time ever, going to share it with a broader audience. It's free. So check it out and get our list of winning YouTube ad formulas with lots of examples. Let this be your inspiration for your next killer YouTube ad. So this is a free resource. We'll link to it in the show notes to this show, but you can also go to omgcommerce.com click on resources and then guides and it's the YouTube ad templates and guide. Check it out and I hope it inspires your next killer YouTube ad campaign. And now back to the show. I have today Kevin Sanderson with Maximizing E-Commerce. He is the chief maximizer at Maximizing E-Commerce. And so I want you to hear a little bit of his story as well before we dive into this topic. And so with that, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Brett, I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yep. And it's always good to connect with with fellow podcasters. So you run a podcast as well. You want to talk a little bit about that podcast and then we'll get into your background and how you became a chief maximizer. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. So um, yeah, I have a podcast called Maximizing E-Commerce. I bring on uh, various subject matter experts. I look forward to, I've got a a calendar appointment coming up here in the next couple of weeks with a, a big high profile guest that you may know, somebody <laughs> from Springfield, Missouri. So uh, yeah. very excited about that. We're going to be talking about some exciting things in the advertising world. Yeah, that'd be um, great. Looking forward to yes. it. And that, and that guest is me, just in case anybody doesn't know where I'm from. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Springfield, Mo, that is, that is me. I think most people got that, but some people are like, Springfield, Missouri, what, what is that? And Where's that? Yeah, exactly. Is that where the Simpsons are? <laughs> yeah. Which I heard, oddly enough, it's Springfield, Massachusetts, I think, is where oh, okay. the Simpsons hail from, but I don't think that's ever been confirmed. Yeah, maybe one uh, we'll, day we'll, we'll claim we'll them. Know for sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Great. So, so Kevin, give a little of your background. How how did you? Uh, what did you do prior to e-commerce, and then 
why e-commerce and why, you know, maximizing e-commerce, chief maximizer, all, all that. Sure. Stuff. Sure. Sure. So basically, um, I was climbing the corporate ladder for a while, worked for a couple different fortune 500 companies. And, um, my position in one of them had been eliminated. Um, it wasn't just my position. We got taken over by another company and my level in the new organization didn't exist. So I was basically asked to walk the plank and I, a good friend of mine in the insurance business, um, hooked me up with a job um, at his insurance agency. And they were going through rapid growth. And I was working really hard. And I was very happy for them and the things that they were doing. And I was just like, wait, if I'm going to work this hard, I'm going to work hard for my own dreams. And so I started thinking, okay, what would be the avenue to do that? And I'd always been kind of a entrepreneur. And I had discovered um, actually the Amazing Seller podcast from Scott Volker. And yep. he was walking through very systematically, step-by-step, step, how to get started. So uh, the short of it is I took basically a season's worth of earnings as a high school football official, invested that into my first product, awesome. and then kept reinvesting, putting money in where I could. And then about three years later, which is a little over a year ago, left my job to do all this full-time. And the way I look at it is I had a lot of great mentors. Uh, Scott is now a friend of mine, um, but... Smart the time dude. I started listening Smart to him, dude, I, for sure. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, I, I know his business partner, Matt. I don't know uh, Scott as well, but he's super smart. Yes, yeah, Scott Volker is an awesome guy. Scott Volker is an awesome guy. And he, um, he, you know, he and a lot of other people have been very giving with information, kind of like what you're doing here with this podcast. And so, you know, you're a virtual mentor to a lot of people. And I had a lot of virtual mentors as I was coming into the business. So the way I look at it is podcast is a way to give back. And, you know, if we keep giving back to other folks, you know, eventually it'll come back to us. But the, the goal is to, you know, the way I look at it is give without an expectation of receiving. Yeah. And so yes. I enjoy coming on podcasts like this and getting to, you know, chat more with you and, mm. you know, sharing something that hopefully your audience can take away with that yeah. will help them, you know, maybe just keep pushing that ball just a little bit Love farther it. down the field to use a football analogy. Yeah, that's great. And, and actually, I'm glad you mentioned football. Actually, I want to I wanna divert just a little bit because I did not know you were a high school ref. I want to talk about this briefly. So I mentioned on the podcast before, I think a lot of people know, I am currently coaching my son's varsity basketball team. We homeschool our kids. He's on a homeschool mm -hmm. team. We play public schools in a lot of tournaments and we're a pretty good team. Uh, but being a coach is super stressful. I do like it. I'm about to retire. This will be my last year, which I'm excited <laughs> about so much time. Uh, you know, I'd love to say that I've always gotten along with the refs that ref uh, <laughs> our basketball games. I've gotten into it with a couple, uh, mostly professional and cordial. Sure. Um, but I'm just curious, uh, do you think uh, refing high school sports, because I've got a connection here and I may be way off base, but Go do you think it. that helped prepare you at all for being an entrepreneur? Or do you see any uh, correlations there or like handling the pressure and the emotion and all that of, of sports? Any correlation to business at all? Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, so there, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, you're kind of on an island there by yourself. So the funny mm -hmm. thing is about being an official... Anytime a coach at the beginning of the game says, I'm easy to deal with. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a great game. I know I was, uh, I was pretty much, uh, this is, this is yeah. going to be a train wreck. Because yeah, yeah, um, yeah. it never quite works that way. Because everyone's emotions get in the way. You know, totally. like, oh, totally. we keep the sideline clear. We did it like, oh, then their sideline would be a mess. And mm -hmm. it, it, it was always a lot of fun. I did it for 10 seasons. Actually, um, 
didn't do it this past fall, but yeah, it definitely does uh, prepare you because you're thinking on your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody thinks it's really easy when they're watching, like you know, um, Mike Pereira or whoever it was. Yeah. You know, that's like you know the former NFL head of officiating comes in and you know analyzes the play and you see it in slow motion. When From you're lots of different decide, angles and you got all kinds of time and there's no pressure on you. You're, you're oh yeah, yeah. it's like they're like oh yeah, I agree with that or I don't agree because my yeah. team it would go against yeah. my team. So when you're the <laughs> impartial person yeah. who's trying to decide is this past interference, is that holding? Right. And you know the thing of it is like I, I'm not as familiar with basketball, but I know there's a lot of similarities. Mm. That there's the rule book and then there's a case book. Yes. Like, Yes. The case book is more like how you apply and gives you like situations right. like similar right. to like how a certain rule is mm-hmm. because they don't want you just calling everything exactly verbatim exactly. by the rule because yep. it, real life is gray. It is. It's it is. There's like so much gray. And I, and, I, and I love that. And so a couple of thoughts that I had, and I think there's some, some correlations with coaching as well, right? So, uh-huh. so coaches and refs can get into it, but there's some similarities there. You're, you're on a bit of an island as a coach as well, right? Things yep. go things go well, it's the players. Things go poorly, it's the coach. Um, there's so much emotion, <laughs> yes. that, I mean, which is fine. Like that, that's the way it, it probably should be. But there's so much emotion wrapped up into it too and parents get all upset and stuff like this. So I think that the, the tie into business for me is if you can learn to silence or suppress some of the emotional response mm-hmm. and just look at things objectively, and yeah. you can never get 100%, but if you can just kind of objectively look at, no, I think this was holding. Or no, I think this is the, the way to take my business. Lots of fears, lots of chatter, lots of whatever. But no, looking at this objectively, this is the way to take the business. So anyway, I, I think that's cool. Um, I think we would have been buds if I was the coach and you were the ref. I think we would have gotten along. Oh, definitely. I mean, I may have told you a time or two when you sucked, but... Uh, <laughs> like, you missed that holding call. <laughs> Or wait, why would you exactly. call that? You've yeah. called more on our side than their side. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I did. You know, I did, like, yeah, I did have a situation recently where uh, uh, there was a foul call on one of my players, and the ref was like, "I said, you just, I said, you're just gonna have to explain this to me. What? How did he foul him?" He's like, "We well, had both hands on him." And I said, well, he didn't actually have any hands on him. He had his hands out. Anyway, uh, it's it fun stuff like that. But uh, uh, so anyway, so that, that was a little bit of a, a side. We could track. go down a whole rabbit hole. We totally one. could, yeah. So let's talk about going international. And, and yes. I, I want to kind of look at a few areas and we'll, we'll dive into some specific search. I know you're an expert in this arena, but I think looking at kind of the when and why and where, you know, of, of going international, right? So, so maybe let's talk about those first two first, the why and the when, right? So, so what would you, what, what advice would you give people? Because this is kind of the strategic part of it. And then we'll mm-hmm. get into some of the tactical stuff too. But why international other than just make more money? Uh, but why international and when? Yeah, great question. So as far as the why, you know, if you think about it, you know, you got a business and you're constantly trying to get eyeballs on your offers, you know, whether it be, you know, you're using paid ads or you know, you're going on Amazon or off Amazon or, you know, a combination of both, whatever it is you're trying to do. And the more people you can get to it, the better. Now, the nice thing about selling internationally is now you've got new eyeballs that you wouldn't have gotten the chance to get otherwise. So think of it this way. Like if you're in Canada and you know you could buy something that's prime, that's going to be delivered in a day or two to your house, um, maybe sometimes two, three days because it's a bigger country um, and not as many warehouses. But either way, if you can buy it competitively priced in your currency, you know, and it gets there quickly, you're going to do it. And you've been trained to do that by going into Amazon.ca. So it's like, 
you're going to start doing that. So now all of a sudden, there's just like we've trained our customers, or Amazon, I should say, has trained their customers to buy Prime stuff in the US. Same thing in Canada, same thing in Europe and the European marketplaces and pretty much all over the globe. So it's like leaving money on the table if you're not going internationally, because then that money you could make from you know selling your goods faster. So let's say you're ordering, let's say a thousand units at a time. Maybe if you're getting 10% of your sales in the US, in Canada, you're selling 10% faster essentially. Yep. Yep. And so you can reinvest that money back into it. Maybe yeah, you yeah. were looking to hire you know, somebody to run your paid ads or mm-hmm. you wanted to launch a new product or you know, hire a virtual assistant or whatever you wanted to do to invest back into or, your Or more volume to get better that. terms with your suppliers and things like that. Maybe change the, the, the cost economics of your, of your business. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so many things you could do with that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also adds a little bit of an insurance policy on your Amazon listing because you know, there's a lot more competition comes in more quickly into Amazon in the US than yep. goes into Canada or UK. I mean, there's yeah. still competition, but they don't, you don't see the same players. Yep. Yep. So we'll, we'll underscore this in a little bit because I, I know this was, this was one of the things that intrigued me about the topic and why I wanted to have you speak on it is, you know, the, you, you mentioned leaving money on the table. Uh, a lot of people think there's a ton of work involved, but mm-hmm. it, it's not, it's not as simple as like copy and paste, but you've already got your listings built. You can right. make them international. We'll talk about how to do that in a minute and, you know, instantly start getting, more sales. So let's talk about the ease in just a minute. Um, what about the, the question of when, you know, so when, when mm. should I do this? So I'm, I'm just starting in the U.S. or I'm at a million or two a year. Do, do, do you have any advice or any thoughts around when we look to go international? Yes. So I think oftentimes people push it out, I think farther than they necessarily mm-hmm. need to. Mm-hmm. So like I, um, decided I was going to go fairly early on because I was testing a bunch of things. Because when I first started, you know, I had like one product and I was starting to add on some more products. And I was trying eBay. I was trying my own Shopify store. So when you say, when you say early, like like first year, second year, what... what, what, what For me, it was my first year. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So it was... Uh, I had... So let's see. I started in February of 16. was when I first started getting sales in my first product. And it was probably around September that I started getting sales in Canada. And, you know, I was trying a bunch of different things at the same time because when I was still fairly new, I had time because I didn't have as many products and as much sales. So I had time to try different things. And that's what I got the most traction on early on was going international. So then I took what I learned in Canada and then went into Europe. Europe's a little more complicated because that works differently Mm -hmm. than it does... than uh, Sales tax in Canada is pretty similar to the U.S., except it's really, for the most part, just the federal government you're dealing with there. Nice. Um, yeah, which makes it much simpler. Mm-hmm. So I basically had one product and three or four, I don't remember the exact number, right? a bunch I was working on putting in the pipeline at the time that I went into Canada. And the nice thing was it really bumped up my holiday sales because mm-hmm. you know, just like in the U.S., we're very consumer-driven with buying lots of stuff at the holidays. Same thing in Canada and really sure. Europe too. Sure. So so you when you when you first launched, it was in your first year. So you know total sales are still still growing. You're still, mm-hmm. you know, a new company at that point. But but you know, into that second year and beyond, what percentage of your sales became international? Yeah. So between Canada and Europe, um, it's generally ranged in the 25 to 35%, depending on Great. the year. 
It's great. Yeah. So last year it was over 30%. Yeah. Of my sales. That's a huge bump. That's a massive yeah. bump. Just by taking the same products, same listings, yep. making them available in other places. And we'll talk about some of the specifics in a minute. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So your advice is go early. And if you're already seeing success with products, like now is the time probably. Yeah. And the nice thing is like, oftentimes people think like, oh, I need to get a whole new minimum order quantity. So like... Mm-hmm. What you could do just to take a step back is you can just go on Amazon.ca or Amazon.co.uk. North America and Europe, this works. Uh, Pacific, like uh, Japan, this doesn't work. But you could just take Jungle Scout or whatever, Helium 10 or Unicorn Smash or whatever you like to use and see, for the most part, those tools work. And you can see approximate demand. And so as long as there's some demand, it's worth trying. And so sometimes people will look and say, oh, well, it's, you know, not the same sales as the US, so it's not worth a whole new order. Well, don't order a whole new stuff just for that. Take yes. small portions of your existing order and test it out. And if you run out, oh well. Yep. yep. Restock the next time. Yep. Yep. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. So you've mentioned Canada and Europe. Are, mm-hmm. are those the first two places to try and in that order for, for most people? Yes. So I would say... Canada, then the UK, just to be more specific. Although okay, UK great. is now technically not part of the European Union. Right, 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 right. Yep. As we're recording this, the plan seems to be that all the trade arrangements are going to stay for the most part pretty much the same, at least through the end of 2020. Now, that could change. So yeah. anything we say here, take with a little bit yep, of grain yep, of yep. salt. But sure. for the most part in Europe, what you can do to get started is to basically take your listings put them in the UK. And then what you could do is then, let's say you wanted to go to Germany, get your mm-hmm. listings translated, go into Germany, and you can actually take your inventory from the UK and they'll ship it to German customers. Okay. And you would just okay. pay that. But so then you're, you're still just sending to the fulfillment centers in the UK and that's, exactly. that's supplying both UK and Germany. Yes. Now, one of the things Amazon really wants sellers to do, and this is something I... I strongly suggest people think twice about mm-hmm. is to do what's called the Pan-European Fulfillment Program. And what that means is, think of it this way. If, let's say you send inventory into Charlotte or you know California or wherever. Mm-hmm. Amazon's going to take your inventory and move it to wherever they feel like yeah. because they can get it closer to the customer. And that's sure. what they do in the US and it makes really no difference. In Europe, there's it gets more complicated with now all of a sudden you're supposed to register for VAT in different countries. So you have to register for VAT in like seven different countries if you do the pan-European fulfillment program. So always start with just UK. Don't turn on pan-EU. Yep, yep, yep. Unless you want to pay like seven, eight grand for VAT compliance. Got it. Got it. Totally makes sense. Okay. So let's talk Canada first. So Canada is the place. That's that's the where typically where we go first. English-speaking very similar to the U.S. in a lot of ways. So talk about what is that process like? Um, you know, into a few of the details, you know, without going line by line on any documents, sure. obviously. But, but how do we get started selling in Canada? And, and why is it easier than we might think? Or one of the things... Easier? Yeah, great question. So one of the things I like about Canada is it's just north of the border. So long-term, you could theoretically, and people do this, where, you know, maybe you tell your factory, take, you know, a certain portion, send some of it into Canada, send some of it into the U.S. Once you have data of kind of what you need. But you can take some, as long as you have some inventory on hand 
that's not in Amazon's warehouse in the US, let's say. You could take some of your existing inventory, ship it into a Canadian fulfillment center and turn on your listings in Canada. So to do that, what you got to do first is register with the Canadian government, um, basically for you know, their sales tax called GST, HST, as well as um, get what's called a non-resident importer status. So, yep. And do you um, recommend getting help doing that? I mean, do you need an accountant? Do you need an attorney? Is it something that people can just do on their own pretty easily? You could theoretically do it on your own. I have a service where I just do everything for people. Um, awesome. But it's 100% something you could do on your own too. Cool. Cool. Okay. Great. Great. So let's keep keep walking through that a little bit. All right. Cool. So yeah. So you get registered. It usually takes four to six weeks to get registered. Um, UPS is probably one of the best ones to use to ship your goods. Unfortunately, Amazon doesn't want to get involved in going across the border. So you're on your own. Now, one little tip I have for people. Um, it could take well, this what that means? That means you've got to do self-fulfilled prime at that point? Oh, so let's say you're sending something into um, an Amazon fulfillment center. Let's say it's in Brampton. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, you're just, yeah. you're just getting stuff into the fulfillment centers in exactly. Canada from the U.S. Got it. Exactly, because okay. I think the best way to do it is to have inventory in the country because right. totally you're sense. going to have the best experience with the customer and get the most sales as a result. Yep. So basically, you have to create your own shipment into the country as opposed mm-hmm. to like in the US, Amazon gives you like really good rates. So if you're using UPS, you can use promo code EASY, E-A-S-Y, mm-hmm. or promo code FAST, F-A-S-T. Both of them seem to work. And it's about 40% off. Cool. And you can reach out to UPS and also have them set up a brokerage account for you because you have to pay um, fees when you go across the border. Nice. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So you get the product there. And then... So really, uh, any additional paperwork that's required? And then and then once we kind of have that wrapped up, let's talk about what we're doing with our listings to kind of make them uh, friendly for, for the, the Canadian market. Yeah. So as far as the Canadian market, for them, like, here's the thing I'll say. I can't find the exact number, but I've looked this up. It's anywhere estimates are between 75 and 90% of Canadians live within 100 miles of the U.S. border. Hmm. So... The words they use are pretty much the same as the words yep, we yep. use. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very, very similar. Europe, it starts getting a lot different, or sometimes even in the UK, it's almost like you're speaking sure. in a foreign language with some yep, of the words. Yep, yep, in some ways. Mm-hmm. But at least in Canada, it's pretty similar. So, you know, you can you, you can pretty much rest assured that what you're selling, for the most part, you may have to make some slight tweaks. And you can always look at your competitors and see what they're doing. Um, as far as like, you know, are they converting things to milliliters or whatever the case is? Sure. So little things like that you could take a look at. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty much what you have in the US. You could just, it's a drop down and people may not even realize the drop down exists, but like you probably see your store name and a little flag with like the US flag. You just switch that down to Canada. And then now you go to manage inventory and you can add in your list. Awesome. awesome. Real simple. Yep. Cool. Uh, very good. So, so, Canada first, then the UK, and mm-hmm. then from the UK, you can target other European countries. You mentioned yes. Germany. Is Germany usually kind of the second country after the UK that you target in Europe, or does it depend? Yes. So people, for the most part, have pretty consistent good results in Germany. Um, Italy can be hit or miss. Spain okay. and France, for most people, tend to be pretty slow. Okay. Um, so it's one of those things that... Germany is a pretty good one. And some, for a lot of people, they actually do better in Germany than they do in the UK. 
Very interesting. Okay. Um, cool. And then what about Australia? Are you in another English speaking country? Are you, are you recommending people look at that or where, where would that be on the, the roadmap typically? Great question. Cause you would think Australia being a um, English speaking country would be a really good one to go yep. into. So one of the things about Australia, it's one of the newest marketplaces. And so there was a statistic that between... It's, one, it's one of Amazon's newest marketplaces? Yes, yeah, one of Amazon's newest marketplaces. So they were noticing that, like, let's say in the UK and the US, they were getting some like $500 million a year in sales of Australians buying and having products shipped. So they said, oh, let's create a marketplace there. There's an opportunity there. And the challenge is the population's pretty small there. And right now, behaviorally, they're very used to buying on eBay. And so last I looked, eBay sales were something like six times higher in Australia than they are um, Amazon sales in Australia. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. In fact, I remember it was right before the holidays. um, A friend of mine was saying, hey, should I go into Australia? And I said, well, I'm going to warn you, it's pretty slow. Hmm. Um, And he said, well, how much have you done in sales the last week? And at the time, it was like, I'd made one sale on Australia previous <laughs> week. And so he said, okay, for comparison, how much have you done in Canada? And I had done like, let's say it was like 129 sales during the same time period. Yep, so yep. definitely much slower in Australia. Got it. But yep. if, if you mature to that point, I wouldn't say that's a starter one, but at least yeah. it gets your foothold in there because yeah. o- down the road. Up, you'd think it would, yeah. I mean, if, if Amazon is one sixth the size of eBay sales in, in Australia... Amazon's going to figure things out, you know, likely that's going to get more to a point of, of parity or, or eventually Amazon right. might win. That would be my guess. Um, and so, so yeah, you know, but I, it makes total sense that that's not your first play, but maybe oh, yeah. third, fourth, fifth, something like that. You, you, you look at it down the road. Um, let's talk about some other benefits. I know something you mentioned offline, you know, one benefit of looking at Canada is ads are typically cheaper, right? Do, do you find... Oh, yeah. You find that consistent in some of these other markets, and and then aside from ads being cheaper, any other of these benefits that people might not be thinking about immediately? Yeah, one of the things I would say is another benefit is it's lower maintenance. So sometimes people think like, oh, I'm going to have to spend if I'm spending let's say ten hours a week in my Amazon US store, I'm going to have to spend another ten hours a week on Canada or UK or whatever. Well, I tend to find that that's not the case. So nice. one, there's not as much competition. Yep. So there's not as much things changing ongoing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if you're getting, let's say 10% of the sales, you probably also have 10% of the impressions, 10% of the clicks. And so you could probably get away with sometimes maybe only checking it once every couple months or something like that. Once you get up and going. I mean, yeah. once you kind of yeah. got it solidified. So less time, often cheaper, lots of mm-hmm. lots of economics that makes sense. Uh, it's really, really yeah. cool. And another benefit that I would say is in Canada, that's not in Europe, is in Europe, the selling price includes sales tax. They're VAT. And that can be kind of a challenge of trying to manage your margins. Whereas in Canada, it's added on to the selling price, just like it is here. So one of the other interesting things is with that is you also can get away typically with adding a little extra to your price relative to the conversion rate. Because if you look at Canada, you got Vancouver, Toronto, 
Montreal, all these big expensive cities that are basically the same as like here in the US, like the cost of living would be in like San Francisco or mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then if you don't live in those major cities, you might live in the boondocks and maybe there's a general store an hour away from you that's like the size of a 7-Eleven. This is what people have described to me. Yep. And so you're willing to pay just a little extra to have Amazon just bring stuff to your door. Yep. It's totally like a godsend makes sense. for those people. Totally makes sense. Yep. Awesome. Uh, this has been fantastic. I want to want to connect people to you and some more resources and some other things as they want to kind of dive deeper. But as we kind of wrap up, what, what are some of the, the mistakes you see people make? So someone decides to go international. What are some of the mistakes, pitfalls, issues, you know, things like that that people need to be aware of? Yes. So what I would say is, you know, check first to see if there's some sales for similar products to yours. Okay. Um, sometimes people worry about you know hijackers. Uh, there's a problem oftentimes of what's called gray listings in other countries, where people will take like bots will take like a million listings in the U.S. and add them to Canada, and they're usually like two three times what the price should be. And people worry like, oh my gosh, I got to kick mm. these hijackers off my listing. Don't even worry about them. They're not going to get the buy box. All they're going to do is worst case scenario if they do get the buy box and get a sale, they're just going to drop ship off of you. So off your US listing. So Mm -hmm. nothing to worry about there. Um, And then also to just make sure, um, you know, you're doing at least your good, honest try to be tax compliant. Oftentimes, freight forwarders will do a good job of getting people registered to at least be able to get their stuff across the border. But they oftentimes don't register people for the sales tax. And so you could end up having the Canadian government come to you and say, you owe us money and you didn't collect it. So now you don't have it for them. Mm. And it's the flip side too. You're actually going to be paying um, on top of your fulfillment fees, a sales tax, as well as when you go across the border and the declared value, you're going to pay their GST, their sales tax in Canada. And those two items would subtract from what you collected from customers. So in essence, your customers are paying that for you. Got it. But only if you're registered for sales tax and Amazon's collecting it. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Fantastic. So a couple scenarios. One, somebody says, hey, I'd like to give this a go on my own, but I want Mm -hmm. more resources. Kevin, hook me up with some resources. Let's talk about that. Sure. And then talk about, for a lot of the people, and I would fall into this category where we say, you know, I would just rather have someone like Kevin do this for me. Talk, talk about that as well. Sure, sure, sure. So if you go to maximizingecommerce.com forward slash Brett, I do have a checklist that I put together. It walks you through step by step. I call it a checklist, but it's like 14 pages long. There's <laughs> resources and everything. So yep. it's more of a mini And I'll guide. link to it in the show notes as well, but it's maximizingecommerce.com forward slash Brett. Yes. So as far as if you're looking for someone to do this all for you, um, reach out to me if you wanted to, Kevin at MaximizingEcommerce.com and be more than happy to do a free 30-minute consultation to see if it makes sense for them. Otherwise, um, you can use the checklist and I'd love to hear about someone's success from using it. So if anyone uh, downloads it and starts getting good numbers, please let me know because I love adding success stories. Yep. That's awesome. Kevin Sanderson, ladies and gentlemen. Kevin, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for educating us. Thanks for educating me because I didn't know much about this topic. Thanks for helping us you know, go international. It's exciting. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. So check it out. Go to MaximizingEcommerce.com. We'll link to it all in the show notes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. What show ideas do you have? What topics should we cover? 
would you like to see more of or less of? Uh, we also love that review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. All right, that's a wrap, Kevin. I appreciate it. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.